0: Hey everyone, so we made it. We are at the end of the year. And the end of another decade, which is so crazy and exciting at the same time. So I won't keep you long as I know that you have lives that you need to get back to, but for this last month, the year, I wanted to highlight some of my most favorite episodes of this last year. The ones that I know that you like the most, the ones that I know had the most impact in your lives and businesses, and the ones that I think really embody the entire purpose of the Influencer Podcast, which is really to help you get what you want out of life. So over the next month, you'll be hearing from amazing guests like James Wedmore, Marie Forleo, and some solo recaps, just to name a few. And if you weren't able to hear these episodes when they first aired, do yourself a huge solid and check them out after you hear the recaps this month. Now I know the majority of our listeners love them, and I think you will too. So let's get to it. I said, my focus for 2019 is experience. And by that, I mean a few things. First of all, the lineup of guests this year are going to be bringing a whole new level of influence and experience to you guys. Last year's amazing guests shared a wealth of tactical advice, and we had so many fantastic guests from Amy Porterfield, to Jasmine Starr, to Cezanne Hendricks, to Julia Ingle of Gal Meets Glam, Marie Forleo, and so much more. All of these incredible guests have really inspired me to explore more of what experience means not only for myself and my business but for this podcast as well. So this year, I am asking our guests to bring us along on their journey so that you, the listener, can get a better feel for the different shapes of influence that entrepreneurship can take. Through these conversations, I want you to experience what it's like to actually lead, to actually step in to your leadership. And I also want you to think about how you experience your business. How can you bring more experience into your work? What strategies can you implement to give your audience a more personal experience? People buy experiences, right? Just think of the last time you walked into an Apple store. It's literally an experience. You don't go to the Apple store just to buy a new phone. From the moment you step foot through the door, there's a concierge there to usher you through your shopping experience. Even the process of packaging and unboxing a new Apple product is an experience. It's really about your customer or your audience's journey and experience of you, your influence, and your brand. And this is how I want you to start thinking about your business. So connecting with all of you on Instagram is one of the favorite parts of my job, but what's even better is when we can take those connections offline and into the real world. So yes, my friends, this is my unofficial, official, unofficial announcement. I am excited and can't wait to share what we're working on when it comes to new in-person event and workshop opportunities with me For this year. That's all I can say for now, so consider this your exclusive teaser. Announcement number four, quarterly mini trainings on the podcast. So I get a lot of DMs and a lot of emails from you asking how you can work one-on-one with me, and I hear you loud and clear. I wanted to be able to create experiences that really do serve you on more of an intentional level wherever you are in your business journey. So this year, I'm airing a new mini-training series on the podcast. This series will answer questions and break apart barriers that you are facing. So how this is going to kind of break down is... Throughout the year, I will be picking one of you to essentially deep dive a little bit into the challenges or frustrations or issues that you may be having in your business, and then I'm going to be going on air and giving you a little mini training on how you should overcome those challenges or maybe pivot a little bit to really get the results that you're looking for. If you've ever wanted to work together more closely, you'll definitely want to stay tuned to all the nitty gritty about how you can get in on these quarterly mini training actions. Hello, James. I am so grateful that you are here with us today.
1: Julie, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be on your podcast. Every time I log into uh, iTunes, there you are, there you are, right up at the top, and I'm just like so happy for you. And it is, it really is an honor to be here because I know you've got an amazing uh, loyal listener base.
0: Yes, thank you so much. I know you see my my, my big white teeth just. <laughs> phone and through your screen. It's a
1: contagious smile. It really is.
0: Uh, Thank you. Well, I am so excited and um, I'm joyful to to, to be talking with you today. That's the word that comes up for me Um, because of just what an incredible human being you are. What an incredible business leader you are um, and strategist and online marketer and all of the things. But most importantly, I find you to be such an infectious teacher and educator. And you really do come from this place of service and wanting to support. And um, I know that my audience is just going to Fall in love with you today, as I did when I had the pleasure of meeting you, which we can talk about in a little bit. But I would love for for you just to kind of dive in. Tell us a little bit about who you are, your journey, um, what got you to being passionate about what you do today, and how you support and serve so many uh, incredible people online um, and throughout the world.
1: Yeah, and I appreciate the very kind words. That uh, means a lot to me. So thank you. And I really want to keep this part as short as possible because I want to talk to talk about me. As little as we can, so we can really get into you, the listener. Um, But the short version is, is I've now been running an online business for 11 years. I think when I first discovered that 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 was a thing, I was immediately hooked. I fell in love. Mostly because I was a very insecure, um, nervous, quiet, shy, awkward introvert. For anybody who's into Myers-Briggs personality, uh, I was a stock INTJ, which is the very awkward recluse. So I was really drawn to the internet um, as a way of like, I don't want to do a traditional route of having a job. I was a bartender at the time and a gym janitor with a college degree, mind you. And I was like, is this really how my life is going to go? So I went towards this, like, you know, this is back in uh, 2008, this, uh, oh, I'm going to start a business on the internet. And uh, the long story short is I spent the first four plus years struggling Like, really struggling. I had to move back in with my parents. I went massively into debt. I was living in their basement in my mid 20s. So I really had to swallow some pride, especially when you're trying to explain to a pretty girl who your roommates are. And, um, and, uh, that things weren't going well for me. And there's always this specific moment that pops up into my head that today, in hindsight, because hindsight truly is so, you know, it's 2020, it's beautiful, um, a different perspective that I would spend, hours, like hours in front of a computer, like the, 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 daily routine became come out of bed, get out of bed. I would pop an Adderall. If you're, you're familiar with Adderall, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All the, all the kids were familiar with them too. Um, this is like, le- for those who don't know, I was taking 20 to 40 milligrams of Adderall a day, which is a basically a legalized form of speed. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying I recommend this, but I got addicted to it. Uh, cause my little sister had ADHD. And so I would work in front of a computer for 14 hours a day, roll out of bed, pop it, and then like work until like midnight or two, and then, you know, maybe eat one meal. And I dropped down to like a very scary 145 pounds. But I was working harder than than anybody. I outworked them all. And to be a little braggadocious, or at least like, you know, that cocky young hubris James that I was, I was very smart. I was getting straight A's back in, you know, all throughout school. So I was very smart. I was very confident in my in my intellect, yet here I was starting a business, doing something on the internet, and I, was, I had nothing to show for it. And that was, that was when re- I really reached the low point because I was like, I'm, I'm, I can, I'm smart enough to figure all this out and I'm, working, I'm willing to work harder than anybody else to do it. And with both intellect and hard work, I had nothing to show for it, it wasn't working. And there was a particular moment, living in my parents' house, where I was so angry and so impatient and so frustrated that I remember breaking my keyboard by smashing my fist. And it wasn't the first time I'd done that, actually. I went through a few keyboards and I remember going outside, ready to just yell up at the, the heavens, you know, like yell at the stars. And I decided not to only because I didn't want the neighbors to call the cops, but I, was, I just remember so much anger, so much um, frustration, like just ready to give up and just call this whole thing quits. And there was one thought that popped into my mind. And it's a thought I've, I've, that just stayed with me and it really began to change everything for me. And the thought was at least one day I can tell this story.
0: My friends, have you ever thought that you have done the hard part? You have started your business and you have taken that leap from belief into really stepping out and claiming a vision for yourself. But you know that if you want to make money doing what you love, you need other support for sponsoring the show.
1: And the reason that that was like the change of the tides for me is because I started telling myself a new story that this won't last. And we all, this is all part of the journey. It's all part of the the journey that we're on in stepping into becoming an entrepreneur. And um, that was back in 2009. I've uh, been in business just over 11 years. Um, I've been fortunate enough to run a multiple, multiple seven-figure company with my beautiful wife, um, a, a fantastic little team. Uh, we run everything from events and masterminds and online products and, and all of that stuff. And w- there was this one other step that I do want to share, which was that I became... Came known, and maybe at one point, Julie, you had heard of me at this, because a lot of people did. I built up this reputation as being the go-to YouTube guy. I was the video guy. And some people listening might be like, I remember this guy, because I was like, I you can just go Google it. I had tons of these silly YouTube videos. And that was like the first iteration of success for me that I got to experience. But today that's not really what we teach. And yes, we get into things like, and I put air quotes around like mindset and stuff. Um, and it's like really performance coaching for entrepreneurship because I realized what really had to happen to make all that awesome stuff happen in my life and in my business. And, and as I look back, so little of it is the having the right funnel, the right strategy, the right marketing campaign. I'm not trying to belittle those um, or say that they're not important. But we tend to ignore so much what's going on between our ears the perspectives that we choose to hold the thoughts that we choose to think the fears the worries the concerns and how much that plays a role in the decisions that we make on a daily basis 95% of our thoughts our habits our decisions are subconscious which means we don't even know it we don't we're not conscious to them most people aren't on a daily basis and then we wonder how we wound up This way. And today I talk to entrepreneurs about how you see business and how you see yourself in the context of business truly is what determines what's possible for you. And we we tend to not look at that. We tend to not look at who am I in the context of business. We tend to not look at our beliefs, our perspectives. And this is what I call, or this is what we look at as when we experience resistance right? People talk about this resistance. Well, resistance is simply a thought or belief that counters that which we want. And so people are, most people, and it's usually the struggling entrepreneurs, are chasing and looking for the secret, the answer, the missing formula, the missing strategy. Tell me what to do. What is, oh, this is the thing. This is the thing that's going to chase it. And they're, they're looking for this external Thing to solve all the problems, and and most will never look within. At at, at and that's the. Re- I mean, that's what I always say It's like that's the real secret. Secret, you're the secret. You're the the missing link that's been there the whole time. And until I changed how I thought thought about myself, thought about business, um, until I let go of the beliefs, the worries, the concerns, and the fears that no longer serve me, nothing else changed. And bottom line. What we, um, I mean, it's not bottom line, it's just another perspective to look at from everything I'm trying to communicate here is that most people are not wired for entrepreneurship. We've been trained in an environment to think and act um, like good, hardworking, permission seeking employees. You know, work hard, go to the bell, raise your hand, ask permission, do what you're told. Work harder. Hard work equals success. That was the thing my dad, you know, just drilled into me my entire life. You got to work hard to be successful, um, and and that's it. You know that it's your work ethic, your effort determines whether you make it in the world or not. And we grow up in that environment of of employee. Again, nothing wrong with being an employee, but what is quote unquote wrong or rather ineffective is taking the thoughts, the beliefs, the perspectives, and the mental strategies of being an employee and trying to apply that to your own business and expect to actually win that game. That's like taking the rules of tennis or practicing and mastering tennis and then stepping onto a football field and thinking you're going to win. It's a different game. And it requires a different set of rules and a different set of thinking. And I know you asked me, "Oh, just tell us a little bit about yourself." <laughs> and I went off on a tangent. But today, that's what I get most passionate about: uh, is working with other influencers, other other coaches, and other entrepreneurs on how they can really, uh, like, you know, in a cliche way, like just step into more greatness and be more effective in the people they reach and how they reach them, and the lives that they change.
0: Mm. I love that, and I mean, so much came up. Um, I've been taking little little bits and pieces. Um, a lot of things that I want to touch on, but but what's first coming up for me is um, you had just mentioned that you know how by from a social norm from our from our our families our upbringings um, you know from what we were around for how how we were we were told to think and feel growing up is that you know hard work equals x y and z if you do X, Y, and Z, then, you know, you, you've attained the American dream, so to speak. And I think that in a lot of ways that, that has caused so many of us to lose our inner artist. And, Mm. you know, now it's, it's like, we're kind of in this new phase and this, we have this, this abundance of this online space and all of this amazing things that we can create and cultivate ourselves. So how do we reclaim that inner artist and really look inward for that. And you had mentioned something earlier that you said, um, you started looking at yourself with what really had to happen for you to kind of pivot and get to the other side of that. So yeah. what, what really did have to happen at least for you and in, in your journey in order for you to reclaim your inner artist?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to answer that cause there's a lot there. Uh, and, and it's not one thing like it's, it's 11 years of, of, um, making that a practice and a discipline. Um, I think to read, but to one other thing I want to say, cause I love this idea of the inner artist. I think the first step is that if I'm coming from this idea that either my parents or society was impressing on me about what it takes to be success, I think the first step to, um, regaining that inner artist is reminding ourselves, we already know, everyone listening knows this, but it's, there's always going to be a difference between what you know and what you do with what you know. Um, And it's, it's, we all need to find our own definition of success and to understand that there are like society's um, expectations and these um, impressions of what success is supposed to look like and it's supposed to be. And, um, you know, and we never, most people never stop and look at, well, what does success mean for me? How, how will I know when I am that version of success and, um, it doesn't need to be the, the house, the white picket fence and the, the fancy car and the certain amount of money in the bank account. It's whatever you want it to be. And for a long time, uh, being, being a creative myself, I, I grew up with a video camera in my hand, my, my, uh, like quote, was just, I want to get paid to make videos. That, I mean, that was in my 20s. Like That was, that was my thing. And I, if I was making videos and I was getting paid enough that I could live and not have to get a job, that was success for me. And that's, that was it. Now that all changed, of course, as soon as um, there became a point in time when working with a customer and they'd come back and they'd say, James, I just made my first video. And I realized that that wasn't... All I was meant for was just to help someone make up their first video. Um, and that sent me on a journey. But I think that's always the first key is like, what is your definition of success? But um, anyways, to actually answer the question that you asked me, um, what had to change? Well, the first four years of my entrepreneurial journey, I was operating from an illusion. And the illusion was is that I had to do, I had to add on, I had to improve and enhance myself in some way in order to be better. And this is what so many people are doing. I hear it all the time. People say, I, I want to push myself to be better in 2019. And that seems like such a harmless, positive, like, good for you. But the problem inherent in phrases and, and um, just even thoughts like that, it presupposes that there's something not good enough about you right now. And that's what I was doing. I was, I got to learn these skills. I got I to gotta get smarter here. I got to learn ways to work faster and work harder and work longer. And it was all coming from this place of so I can finally be worthy, deserving, or good enough to receive all that I want. And I spent the first four years, ironically, and I think they are Absolutely correlated. It is not a coincidence whatsoever that I didn't get anywhere from that mindset, that I didn't actually get results until that shifted. And what shifted from that moment forward and how I operate today is this thing about mindset or personal growth or evolution or getting to that next level, right? You always hear people saying, like, I want to take my business or my life to the next level. Is actually the opposite. I went from adding on and enhancing me trying to enhance me into subtracting taking away or more accurately letting go my my life became about shedding that which did not serve me and what i'm talking about here like is intangible hopefully it's not too intangible but are the the is the resistance the thoughts the beliefs the doubts the worries and fears that i was taking with me everywhere I went. And it's almost analogous if if we can create a real powerful visual for people. It's like setting out to climb a mountain like Mount Everest. And that's your goal. I want to get to the top of Mount Everest. But before you set out to climb this mountain, you put this backpack on your back and you fill it full of rocks. Rocks like, what if I don't make it? Rocks like, What if they find out I'm a fraud? What if I find out I don't actually have what it takes? What if they don't love me? What if I look like an idiot? What if I make a mistake? What if I waste time? What if I let down my family? What if, what if, what if? And we take these heavy, heavy rocks with us on this journey, thinking that holding on to these doubts, these fears, this resistance, is somehow going to get us there faster. For me, it was the thing that was holding me down. The reason I was so frustrated, the reason I was banging my keyboard, anger. Anger is a form of fear. And I was afraid. I was, I was afraid. I was, I was afraid of judgment. I was afraid of ridicule. I was afraid of what people would think of me, what they'd, how they would see me, if they would attack me, if they would, you know in some crazy thought, reach through my computer screen and punch me in the face. You know, like it gets so, the fear feels so real to us. Like we're actually, our lives are in danger. You feel it physically. And so the journey began for me where I really noticed how much I was trying all my marketing efforts, my, my posts, social media, my email, everything I was doing was coming from this place of, I need you to like me and I'll say whatever it takes. So that you'll be my friend, because that will validate me on some level. And the ironic thing is that's probably one of the biggest sins in marketing. So, anybody who's setting out to be an influencer, you don't influence by being vanilla. You don't influence by being the thing that everybody already knows and already agrees with. You must, on some level, be willing to rock the boat, be the contrarian, to go against the grain, to zig while others are zagging. Because if you don't stand up for something.
0: But what got us here today and and into really um, what we're going to step into today, which is your new book, Do Less, which is going to be fantastic.
2: Great. Well, I'll I'll just, you know, it's always one of those things like how much information. Long story (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'll start uh, with, you know, my first book was called Money, A Love Story, and it it talks about... um, the story of how I got myself into a bunch of debt and how I, I healed my relationship with money. And it takes people through a process that I've taken, um, hundreds of female entrepreneurs through. Um, although by the way, it totally applies to everybody. <laughs> like all the it's things incredible. Through. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, really incredible. Oh, thank you to, to, because here's the thing, like when it comes, I know this, we're not talking really about money this episode, but here's the thing, like my work is about women and worth. And so while the conversation I'm having these days has to do with time, the conversation around money is the same conversation. So my roots run deep when it comes to women and worth. And what I realized with myself and with the women I was working with is that if they, if we weren't getting our relationship with our own worth right or not right because i don't think you can really do it right but like deepening that relationship then we would never actually take the financial steps we needed to take and and you know anybody who's read like every personal finance book under the sun but hasn't been able to really like get it together financially knows that that's true because what's between us and our prosperity is the healing work that we need to do around money and worth and so then I wrote that book and, um, and, and, you know, just kind of went on a journey of figuring out what, what it's, what it is to be an author, what it is to be an entrepreneur, you know, there's no rule books. So I just figuring it out. And then, um, I got pregnant and I was, have never been so forced to slow down in my life. I mean, I am a fast mover. I just love to do stuff. I'm very busy. I have a million ideas. Like I just had had never slowed down in my life. And my pregnancy forced me to. I've never been, it was so exhausting. And everyone kept saying like, oh, well, during your second trimester, you'll feel this great burst of energy. My one girlfriend was like, I wrote five book proposals during my second trimester. And I was like, okay, awesome. So excited. And I just was so tired the whole time. (laughs) I couldn't function unless I was taking like three hour naps every day. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, as an entrepreneur and my husband and I run a company together, it wasn't like there was maternity leave or anything to fall back on. So I needed to keep the financial results the same. So basically, it was like, well, how can I keep the financial results the same while napping <laughs> or while, you know, and then in the first year of motherhood, it was completely kicked my butt. And um, we only had 10 hours of childcare a week and my baby was sick and it was it was kind of a horror show. So, um, So anyway, same thing though, I needed to figure out like, okay, well, with all of this happening and with my work hours massively condensed and with my emotional energy, you know, really being devoted to my kid... How can we keep our business going? And I was able to um we were able to keep our business solid and and have it not collapse, which was shocking to me given how little we were working compared to how we how much we had worked before. And so then I retroactively went back and was like, okay, well, what happened here? How how can I codify this? How can I create a system out of this? And how can I um how can I do it more on purpose and more mindfully now that I'm not in the throes and the drama and chaos of early motherhood? And well, yes, I am. I still have have a three and a half year old and an 11 month old, but like it's slightly less chaotic. And then how can I share that with other people? Because I know I'm not the only one who has a tendency to overwork and it's rampant in our culture. And so um, that led me to the work I'm doing now, which is really around the feminine principles of time and energy management and how we can do less and have more.
0: Mm. And it's, it's so, it's so needed because even, you know, even this morning, I, me and my husband have been traveling, um, back and forth to Tennessee, which is where I'm originally from. And I've been, you know, just doing more traveling than I normally do. And, And I tend to have like this very like set morning ritual. And if I don't do it, it, you know, I start to get the guilt and, you know, it throws my day off and I can't get all the things in. And I remember that I allowed myself to quote unquote sleep in this morning, which I never do, but we've been traveling so much that I needed it. And I immediately went into that feeling of like, you know, well, I didn't, I didn't do my morning pages and I haven't read my devotionals and I didn't, you know, it was like, I was getting so heady in all of the stuff that I didn't do. And that guilt kind of started to set in and I I felt like it was so timely because I started laughing because I knew that I was going to be talking to you today, but (laughs) it reminded me of that idea that, you know, we do have this belief system and especially as women and, and mothers that, um, doing, you know, it is, is, is more important than being. And mm. the more and more that we do, the more and more that we produce, you know, the more and more that we will be accepted and, you know, seen as, you know, viable in society and successful and what have you. But a lot of times I feel like it's like, I can't, do more. I mean, if I lean in anymore, I'm going to fall over, you know? So it's like, how do I, how do I find the, the balance in that? So I would love if you would kind of share a little bit of what, I mean, and your book really lays it out. You've done a lot of really, I mean, quantitative data to support this, this, this belief of, of, of the system that you have created and, and that you now know and live by. So what have you kind of seen to be the biggest challenges or the biggest resentment factors, if you will, for women, just like you and I, who may conceptually know like, yes, I need to do less, but have no idea how to do that.
2: Yeah, <laughs> this is great. Well, so it's kind of, a, it's a repatterning process because there's a couple things going on. Number one, our society celebrates doing our society celebrates being industrious and getting things done and being able to do things by yourself. I mean, I was raised with a very strong New England work ethic, very pure, you know, puritanical, like um just just put your head down and grin and bear it. And that there's there's kind of like that suffering and, and pushing really buys us something. And that there's this inherent worth just from kind of the the grinning and bearing it. And so there's that going on and that our culture celebrates, you know, busyness as a badge of honor. And then there's the other piece, which is a slight shade of gray for women, which is that, you know, having trouble doing math right now, but like, let's say 25 years ago or 30 years ago when my mother was one of the first doctors who were female of, you know, at at all, right, of her generation for sure. She had to prove why she could be there taking a seat and why she was, she deserved to take the seat of a man. Like that was the mindset at that Mm -hmm. time. And we're only one generation away from that. You know, I don't know if you saw the recent um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, not the documentary, but the one with actors. I don't know (laughs) if that sounds silly, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, And and in that scene where she has to go around the table at Yale Law, the women who were admitted explaining why they deserve to take a man's seat. And so that is not that far from where we are in this moment. And so there is still this downloaded cellular blueprint that we are carrying around because epigenetics actually does tell us that, you know, our parents' experience lives in our DNA and that part is real that there's this part where we're trying so hard as women to prove that we even deserve to be here mm. and that runs really deep mm. it runs really deep through you know religious institutions cultural institutions economic institutions and um and and so while this book is about time management and my work is about time management it's really about so much more than that and and a deep reckoning with our society and how we hold women and how we can be begin to unravel and lean out and really begin mm-hmm. to unravel this compulsive proving that we do through doing. Mm. And I just had like I don't know how to hit
0: like I had when you were say I was I had this aha if you will if I was Oprah that <laughs> what I also heard you saying is like, by, by continuing this on, right. This lineage of what our mothers or their mothers or what have you had done. It's kind of like, we are more, that's kind of showing love and loyalty to them. But like, Mm -hmm. I will continue to think and feel and behave, behave this way, because that's the, that's the loyalty of the lineage.
2: That's, a very profound thought. I love that you brought that up. And there, there are these things that we do like to stay small Mm. or to, um, absolutely. I mean, this is a very real thing. And I think it's quite common, um, amongst people who don't come from a family of entrepreneurs, let's say, and are going out on their own and have big dreams, but there's this fear. It's the tall poppy syndrome of, Okay, well, if I really go for it, and if I become as powerful as I can be, as I if I become as influential as I can be, or as, as um you know as wealthy or prosperous as I can be, then somehow I'll be dishonoring my family. Mm. And that's also real because there's actually data. Um, Dr. Mario Martinez, in his book The Mind Body Code, talks about the the results that we get out of breaking out of the lineage and, and sort of the backlash, which is, um, which is actually shaming families, you know, families or, or groups of people where we belong. There's shaming behavior when we break out and there's betrayal. Um, and that's really real. Like we as humans are herd creatures and we are wired for belonging. And so of course we would want to, we would want to, um, you know, stay in the family way, like stay in the family way. That's not what I meant to say. <laughs> of course we would want to like stay on the path, right. So that we yes. have that sense of belonging, but, but in order, I believe I, I just saw um, Dr. Tara Rye Trent speak this past weekend. She wrote the awakened woman, She's such a powerful um, woman from Zimbabwe who, who builds schools. And she talked about, the batons that she decided not to carry on the baton and pass it along of poverty and illiteracy and Mm -hmm. the different batons that we pass along to our children. And, um, I think that that is a conscious decision that we have to make to say, okay, I can honor my parents. I can honor where I've come from. I can honor the women who've come before me without living their same life.
0: Mm, It's so good. And it's, it's literally, um, it's a, it's a reframing of our brain of, of a belief system yes. in a lot of ways. It's, it's deep work. Yeah. yeah, It's really yeah. deep work. Um, and I know, and there was one thing that you, that you had mentioned in the book that when you were kind of going through this yourself, one of the things that it made you realize is that you said my power and worth go far beyond the list of things I had accomplished by the end of the work day. And that is, I, I loved the, the words power, worth and accomplishment. <laughs> kind of in, in one thing that that's, I, I just felt so drawn to that because I, I, you know, I've lived a life that way. Like I, I love lists. I love to check them off. Um, it does make me feel accomplished. And I do tie my power and my worth a lot to that. For someone who may also feel that way, how, you know, what would be the first steps or, you know, the, the first moments that you realized um, how in which you could start unraveling that?